Welcome to stream number 68 in this series where I am normally programming an NES game live on Twitch from scratch, or mostly that, but sometimes just pulling my hair out. Uh, but today we have a special guest and I am extremely excited to introduce, should I say the first half of the NES assembly line podcast instead of the other half? I feel like that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of putting you in the in the secondary position, which is not fair. The equally yeah. important half that could be the other half. <laughs> uh, okay we have <laughs> we have Bo from Soul Goose Productions on, um, and Kevin saying the stream is super laggy. Okay, well, put it in put it in Twitch so I so I know. Not not in Discord, where you're distracting me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have Bo from Soul Goose Productions. Uh, thank you for being on, Bo, for this already very strange uh, live stream. Oh, yes. Live scares me. <laughs> but it's fun. I, uh, I like uh, the fact that people can actually ask questions and uh, give some feedback to what's going on. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so yeah, so I appreciate you taking the time to be on here. You know, like I've said before, I'm doing this coming at it from the experience of, um, you know, a programmer who's worked programming for a while who got into, uh, NES programming, well, because of you and Kevin, um, but, um, I wanted to have people who have been doing this for a while come on and talk about their experiences and why why they're doing NES programming. So, um, first question I guess I have for you is, we have you here live now. Who is EBD Holland and what have you done with him? Why are you forcing him to make all your games? Oh, he makes all my games. I chain him up in the basement. He just does his thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think that was the the thing that struck me when I saw um, Spookatron boot up for the first time. I'm like, EVD Holland, what's that? And I'm like, oh, that must be Bo. Um, yeah. If you're going to be cursed with like three names, it just makes sense to go the token route and... Give your initials so no it's very like official sounding i like it it's uh <laughs> it but but it is it was not what i was expecting you know but uh yeah. no so so why don't you talk about yourself introduce yourself who are you why 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 are you making nes games ah uh, so many questions there <laughs> um yeah i'm bo uh i run soul goose productions been doing this for Five years? Been wanting to make a game though for many, many more years. Uh, like probably since like fourth, fifth grade, and then uh, actually trying to since probably the early two thousands. Uh, I looked at GBA programming, picked up like a book on C, uh, stuff like that, and then back in 2012, 2013, I decided. I was finally going to like just make a game or give up the dream. And because every year or two, I'd like picked up RPG Maker and I would build this sort of, you know, start to build a world or write a story or fiddle around with it or whatever, or do some projects for, for a class or whatnot. But uh, 
yeah, back in 2012, 2013, I decided this was it. I was going to quit messing around with it and either do it or just stop. And, oh. No, no, go ahead. Keep going. Oh, and uh, as I went down that path, I, was, I discovered the homebrew community and console development, and that seemed to make a lot more sense than the RPG Maker stuff. So. Okay. So you started out like most of us where you saw the NES, found out like, holy crap, people actually make these things and then kind of went down the road of trying to figure out how you could be one of those people. Yeah. Well, at the time I was in school and I was applying for doctoral stuff and whatnot. And so I was writing my thesis and all this, you know, academic stuff. And I saw this community and like all this cool stuff. And I was like, nobody's nobody's documenting this nobody's covering any of it like there's there's tons here that that's worth exploring and then that led me then to also program and collect and play and ugh. no that's cool so so uh are you are you currently or did you actually do a, a doctorate no i i finished my master's and that was okay. sort of it uh, okay and i think you said that that was in humanities right yeah theology Okay. Uh, the master's is usually separate in that program. Uh, okay. Sadly, cool. a lot of well, debt, no degree. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's uh, all too common, right? People go yeah. to school and, and you know, they they think they know what they want to do and then they get their masters and then they're like maybe I need to go get another masters cuz I don't know if I can actually afford to get a job doing what I got my masters in. Pretty much, but you know, I studied thousands of years old things, and then now mm -hmm. I study like thirty year old things. So it's right, you know, kind of fits. Well, that's cool. But um, so um, let's let's go back to um, I guess let's talk about when you started looking at GBA programming and trying to learn C, because I know um, when we talked to Kevin, and it's not unusual for some of the people in the community that you know they just jump right in and programming. Assembly is really the first thing they've attempted, which is um, it's kind of crazy when you're doing it by yourself. Um, but um, but you took a different route. You looked at C, which is slightly higher level, um, and you tried to learn it for the Game Boy Advance, which was the current system at the time. Uh, what what was your what was your thinking there and what was kind of the stumbling blocks uh, of, of doing that? Uh, the thinking was like, that's what I was playing. And so it was, it was neat. You could do super Nintendo styled RPGs and that was, mm -hmm. that's pretty much all I've ever wanted to do. And the stumbling block was definitely C. <laughs> <laughs> I hate okay. to say it. Like I had never taken a, I've never taken a programming course or any of that. I just, I read that one book on C and I went to different websites like Nathan Talbert's website uh, way back in the day. And uh, I think Jonathan Harper wrote a book on it that got pulled and then it was back and it was. Pulled. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that book. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, I forget what it was called, but yeah, he was actually going to publish it. And then I, I don't know if they got a cease and desist from Nintendo or something. Right. That is what I believe happened. Yes. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty cool that he was doing that, and then when they got the cease and desist, he was like, "Whatever, you guys can have it for free." Um, but uh, I don't think it was totally complete, was it? 
I think it was in the end, uh, but all okay. of them, that and all the tutorials, they were always like, oh, well, you want to make a game? Well, you need to go for this system. You need to go out. You need to go learn this whole language and then come back and then we'll tell you how to put something on the screen like Hello World. And it was like, right. that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what was the hardest part of learning C for you? Because I know... Um you know, there sort of rages a debate in the community about what's the what's the best way to program the NES and and it's kind of varied opinions like Nathan programs in C and uh, you and Kevin and myself, we, we program in assembly, Derek programs in assembly. Um, it seems to be kind of a, I don't want to say a great divide in the community, but it is a pretty um, surprising difference in approaches for something that is sort of such an old and established system. C just never made sense to me. The whole like structure, I never had anybody just like sit down and explain it to me. And mm -hmm. I could never really like look at code and poke around. Because mm -hmm. with all the GBA stuff, it came with, you know, there was so much just to get anything to display on the screen. Right. Whereas when I started to look at the Nerdy Knights, it was 50 lines of code and I could look at it and see it you know right yeah that is the interesting thing so for people who aren't familiar with the game boy advance unlike the nes where the the char rom is essentially connected to the ppu right so you you essentially can just make stuff appear by writing to memory you know writing a few bytes to memory um with the game boy advance you actually have to load the graphics into the graphics unit before you can do any of that so there's and and uh, man i don't remember if you you had to use dma to do that too because that was reading a different way than the regular ram access it's been a while <laughs> i was i was doing that i think i shared with you guys the um way back in 2000 i was doing game boy advanced development too but i had the advantage of knowing c so it kind of i, I cheated <laughs> sorry you could actually do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually do it is maybe too kind of an expression of what happened. Um, I, I, I made a cool tech demo. Um, so anyway. Um, okay. So, uh, and then, and then RPG maker, what was the thing that kind of prevented you from moving forward with that? Cause I, you know, it is relatively straightforward, but what was the, what, what, I mean, something must have been either unappealing or just not didn't work for you for some reason. What was what was that all about? It just never felt like I was making my own game. I was just using this cookie cutter tool, putting together somebody else's program, and then it could never do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, like I did a game for a class back. It would have been like 2004. And mm -hmm. then. I'd play around with it every couple of years. Like it was really neat and you'd get really excited and then you'd realize that there's still a ton of work to do to make a game beyond right. just, you know, oh, I can drag and drop some stuff, but you still have the whole task of game creation in front of you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And as so that's, and that's interesting because I think with all of these game making uh, tools, um, the promise, no matter what the tool is, is always something to the effect of, you know, magically creating this amazing project. Um, but that never seems to pan out. No. 
programming is the easy part. You realize, you know, at this point in the game, the the hard part is uh is actual game development, which they just drop you. The game game creation tools just sort of drop you at the doorstep of okay, now you can do anything. Right. And with, without the years of thinking about it, it's it's tough to go down that road. Well, and so that that's an interesting point because it's something that's come up a few times in the community, um, more than a few, I'm sure, but a few times in just the year that I've been part of this. And, um, and it's this idea that, you know, anybody can write code, but to actually get a game made and you have people who are, supremely talented programmers who don't make games and then you have, have people noticed. yeah and then you have people who are you know they're capable programmers but they just churn out game after game and are full of ideas and then you of course you get people that are sort of in between but um <laughs> what <laughs> well no but so like you know you've you've released um uh was it um O to X, is that right? Zero to X. Zero to X. Zero to X. Zero to X, sorry. Uh, Spookatron. I, well, <laughs> it's a long-standing debate in the community. What no, no, no. I, I will call it whatever you say is the actual <laughs> name. So uh, <laughs> Zero to X and Spookatron and um, Swords and Ruins. And uh, sorry, Runes, not Ruins. Um, Thank you. Yes, yeah. Sorry, that was just a mispronunciation. Um so what what is your process when uh, approaching these games again kind of knowing at least from what you've said that you're not necessarily the the sort of sort of stereotypical hackerish i understand you know how to time everything by the by the cycle for every instruction i write programmer but yet you've you know you've put out uh, several games and you know i've played spookatron and it's really fun um oh, thank you sure and and uh you know what is your approach to to um putting that all together well i didn't program uh swords and runes that oh, was okay. done by another fellow i just released it oh, okay took care of all the publishing stuff and then zero to x uh the same fellow programmed but then i ended up having to reprogram the whole thing to get it to be what i wanted it to be Mm -hmm. And but Spookatron, yeah, yeah, it was all mine. And I don't understand a lot of, or didn't understand a lot of stuff at the time. But you can, you can make a lot of progress with NES programming without understanding all of the bytes and cycles and and whatnot. Um, you know, you get stuff moving on the screen, things happen, and you just keep going until it breaks. And if it breaks, then you realize you did something wrong. And it's it's very self-corrective, which which I've liked. Yeah, and so I mean, and that's an interesting thing because I think you, um, you just said that you think it's easy to kind of get things going on the NES, but I think a lot of people are, uh, a lot of people are daunted by the prospect of writing games on the NES because it's, um, because it's assembly language and it's so low tech by comparison to modern systems where you kind of, you know, you just drag a JPEG in and it knows what to do. Right. So like, what, what do you, what do you mean when you say that you find it? I don't, I don't know if you said it was easy or straightforward, something like that. But... <laughs> Both. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, it's all I know. So I don't I don't know how to program any other language. So I don't know if there is a faster or more efficient or easier way, but I do know how to make things happen on the NES within a reasonable amount of time. Well, mm. now nowadays. I mean, it took years to get to this point. Mm -hmm. uh, but um yeah, I just don't know any different. So <laughs> Okay. Um so um uh, just looking at the chat here, um, so that I don't let that go too long. Um, somebody commented about the woodwork. Where was that? Was that Mog? Oh. Retro, Retro Mog says he loves your woodwork. Oh, yes. The joys of renting a, a lake cottage. <laughs> and um, Kevin says no pressure. <sighs> and... <laughs> oh, we're getting commentary from retro USB here too. Oh boy. Just edit all that out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Should I just not even bother <laughs> saying it? <laughs> oh no. Brian's always fun. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so he said kisses and hugs. And then he said, this is boring from Cameron. Oh. Um, and then Sarah wants to know where the hat is. Oh, well, it doesn't fit with the headphones. Oh wow! It's like family night at the Parker household. Jeez. <laughs> I think I think Derek has uh, his nephew there with him too. Oh yeah, Just, yeah. So we got to keep it clean, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> if enough of the beer gets uh, consumed, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just one bottle. Yeah. So, um, starting out, what's the what's the thing that you remember most? Um as being the most frustrating and daunting and kind of the thing that made you just want to give up on Ooh. NES specifically? Um, the first few months were okay. Uh, with the nerdy nights, like they were pretty, pretty simple. Like Brian did a real good job with most of that. There were a couple things where it was like, man, if I just understood that, that would have made a world difference. But, for a programmer writing tutorials for a non-programmer, it's uh, it's been an interesting process. Like, did you know a computer program is a loop? Come again? <laughs> it, it's a loop. You know, it just like loops around over and over. Right. Right. Yeah, that took like three years to figure out. Um, <laughs> just Kevin with the loops. Didn't, right? It didn't occur to me. Like, I just was like, oh, things are happening, and I never realized. This is why Spookatron exists because I didn't understand how to work with sprites because I didn't understand the loop thing. And then once I went through that process, I understood loops finally. But huh. that was probably not the most frustrating thing. There was a pointers were were an early like issue. After I finished the Nerdy Nights and Kevin helped me with some, I started doing an adventure clone, uh, mm -hmm. adventure for the twenty six hundred. Yeah. And just putting all that together, I couldn't quite figure it out. And then this one night, it just it dawned on me that these two things that we were pulling the uh, you know pointer one and pointer two and mm -hmm. or pointer plus one and pointer not plus one. Mm -hmm. um, I was sitting there and I was looking at. It, I was like, this points to a memory address, like an actual address in memory. Right. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's actually one of those things where that is tough for, for everybody. I think, I don't know anybody who immediately understood pointers. Um, in fact, I remember, 
Um, and I was just talking to a colleague at work about this. I remember reading a book on C and it was like the fourth book that I had taken out from the library Whew. and, and, and just, you know, not re reading their section on pointers. Cause I just, I didn't get it. Um, like I, I, I knew I had to use in C, you use the ampersand to get the address of a variable and use that instead of just accessing the variable itself. And, and I understood kind of when I should based on the examples, but I didn't know why. And, and it was like, there was this eureka moment of, oh, because I want to change the memory. I don't want the value of the thing. Like I want to go change the actual value in the memory somewhere. And I need to get that address. I don't care what the value of the thing is right now. It was like this weird sort of clicking going on in my brain. And I imagine that it must have felt the same way. I didn't even realize that a computer program was made up of memory addresses. Hmm. Like, like the hex editor, all that. I didn't discover the hex editor for like three years. I mean, the, it just never made sense to me that these things that we're seeing in the code and assembly, like matched up with what's in the, the binary and whatnot. Yeah. And I imagine that that's probably really tough for people who are not only learning such low level programming, but, I mean, you did this on your own with the help of people who are, you know, remotely answering emails and uh, forum posts, right? When they feel like it, yeah. <laughs> it was actually Metal Slime's uh, Advanced Nerdy Nights uh, music tutorial. Okay. That's the one that, like, I was reading it and then it was just like, and yeah. I was sitting there and I was just like, euphoric and my wife was like oh i left my credit card at the uh, grocery store and i was like i can't stop right now like <laughs> i need to do this but i had to go get it and i'm just driving in the dark and just like the whole world had opened up to me and it was just the most magical feeling yeah yeah there is yeah. something really pretty amazing when you finally get something either working that's been problematic and uh you know, taking you a long time or you understand a concept that you didn't understand when it when you're programming. And to explain that to someone who's never programmed before or has no interest in programming is um, I'm sure you've tried to explain it to your wife before. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's sitting there looking at me like, hey, I need you to do this. And I was like, no, no, this is the time that I need right now. Yeah. But yeah, I remember showing my my first NES program to my to my wife, you know, just getting getting something moving on the screen and she just kind of looked at me and was like, "I'm not sure I know what you want me to say right now." <laughs> I get a little like pat on the head and she's like, "Good job." And I'm like, "Okay, you you don't get this. Why can't you make him jump and run this way?" And it's like, "No, that's not what we're doing here." <laughs> yeah it's it's like you don't understand how long it took me to get him to just move by himself um, yeah yeah kevin says oh god the emails oh man i used to send him like 10 page emails with like 20 questions in them in paragraph form and yeah he was i think he was really overwhelmed well uh, yeah i think that would overwhelm even the most well-meaning person which i didn't program. I didn't realize at the time. Lately, a fellow's sent me some of his code and asked some questions and stuff. And I go to look at him, I'm like, I can't read. Like this will this will take days to get through. Like I, 
it's not easy just to pop open somebody else's code and look at it. Right. Now, do you find that you get a lot of questions from people now because you've been in, in NES programming for a while? No, I don't get a ton. Every now and again. Because um, I still, I fall into that category of like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I can make a lot of things happen. So mm -hmm. they don't generally want to ask me questions because I won't tell them the right way. I'll tell them a way that gets it done. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Which for real programmers is a problem for people that don't know programming. They're a little more understanding, but. Well, I think there's though, um, there is a place for both because especially when you're getting started, sometimes you just need to know how to do it, right? Because you wouldn't understand the real reason why it works that way anyway yet, right? Oh yeah, there's no way. Yeah, so I mean, Try try understanding why. I mean, it was like uh, Kevin's question last night about reading the mouse, right? Like, oh, try yeah. try getting someone to answer that to somebody who doesn't know anything about NES program programming, but who's trying to learn or programming in general, um, and and then explain to them why that works. I mean, Kevin has the benefit of of having programmed for a while, and so between like you'd have the same. You, I think you'd have the same situation where maybe you wouldn't understand why it was working that way at first, but once someone explained it to you, you get it because it's in the context of something you know already. Um, you've done the programming part for long enough that that becomes sort of the the bridge that divides that gap. Or no, wait, the bridge that crosses that divide? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that... I haven't even had any beer. I don't know where that... Bridges always from. divide gaps, Michael. Yeah. Always. No, no, that's, that's, that means it's a broken bridge. <laughs> Um, yeah, anymore, like I sit there and like if I do want to go look something up or so I, I stole stole I did steal a lot of the nerdy knights code and I stole a lot of MRN's uh, code out of his tutorials mm -hmm. and like that's what I used for a number of years and now when I go back to I've slowly gone back through the years and redone things that I just want to do differently and in that process i tend to understand it's like oh this is what's going on and this is how i can write it different and now it's mine not just borrowing their stuff for uh, the time being right and so do you have a starter project that you go back to for or do you just like take whatever your latest project is and rip out the code um over the years i've done i have a template program and the newest template i think is pretty decent Okay. Um, the one that I used to, the one like for Spookatron has a bunch of just garbage code that I don't even think is called. Uh, it's just all in there because I mm -hmm. was too lazy. It's not that I was too lazy. It was like one screen used this system of constants uh, for num or letters and stuff. And now I just do it completely different and just a mess. But these days, uh, the template's much better. Yeah. Well, that's uh, so, and that's the other thing. Um, and I, I try to emphasize that while I'm streaming and screwing up my my, my, <laughs> my game um, is that there is no there is no um, path that doesn't lead you down the into problems at times, right? Like no matter how well you've planned your game and how your code's gonna work, um, short of you knowing everything about what you're doing, you're always going to find that you can rewrite it or make it better or make it faster for the thing you're doing. Um, so 
it, it's funny because I think, um, you know, you, you're not alone when you do this, but like, I think programmers kind of get down on themselves for, you know, oh, I wrote this in a crappy way and, you know, I had to rewrite it and, and, you know, for this new project, I had to start over from a different way. But I think there's something, there's definitely that shows learning experience. Um, it shows, it shows growth in your, in your skill. Um, you're, you're shrugging like you disagree. Ideally, ideally it shows growth and not just redoing things for the sake of redoing things. Like I did this afternoon for like two hours, but well, but that happens, right? Like you, you, you go, well, I could, I could do this a different way and maybe it's better. And then you're halfway down that and you're like, wow, this was a big mistake. I, yeah, I just, this afternoon was a train wreck, but it works now. And that's okay. the important part. Right. Yeah. You got, you got it working. That's, that's all I that guess. ever matters really. <laughs> <laughs> you would not believe how many commercial applications are programmed by people who created train wrecks and then Oof. made those trains unwreck at the last minute. <laughs> I can't imagine. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it is not reserved for the hobbyist. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, you just learn so much. Like you just learn different ways of doing things and you, I mean, there's always, I don't tend to optimize things too much. I'm not one of those bite crunchers because I don't, under or I, I don't see the bytes the way that they do because I just again the memory addresses don't don't factor into my my mind as much but uh yeah just redoing it to do what I want it to do in a better or different way that's that's what gets me yeah. okay. so I tend to break it and redo it and yeah <laughs> um Brian is saying bridges divide gaps in monster power and dragon warrior Hmm. So there you go. It was a. It was a. a it was apparently an, an appropriate analogy. Seems like we need another dragon warrior. Well, I've got this one here. Just happened to be here. So. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it was just randomness that it was there. It's like I prepped you for that. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I. I. I uh, one of these days, I'll actually finish playing Dragon Warrior. One. Any of them. Oh, I just I have, finished number number one last year. Yeah, I remember you saying that. It yeah. took you a while. Yeah, like six months. <laughs> Not a fan. Yeah, there is a lot of grind. I remember trying very diligently as a child and just being um, bored. <laughs> yes. My brother like went much further than I did, but like I just I went back to playing Final Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, there's there that that is definitely a lot more fun. Um, so let me ask this: How? I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but with Spookatron, you had said that you had decided that you wanted to learn how to manipulate sprites better, um, and that led to the creation of Spookatron. But is that how you get? all of your ideas that you kind of come up with the, I wonder how I do this. And then that turns into a game or, or is it sort of a variety of sources? Ah, uh, kind of with that one. That was definitely a technical challenge. Like that was here. I had been working on family vacation, which is my Oregon trail, like 
game, which is all backgrounds pretty much. Like I could do most of the game without ever touching sprites. And I realized that that was a huge deficiency. Like I needed to be able to work with sprites. And so then I just figured what was the most sprite intensive game that I could think of. And it was Robotron mm -hmm. and also one that could use a Virtual Boy controller. And so between those two things, then Spookatron was born. And how hard was it for you to get the... Let's start with the Virtual Boy controller, because we've talked about that a little bit in terms of the options there between the Virtual Boy controller and a modded SNES controller or an SNES controller with an adapter. How hard was it for you to get that working? Um, well, I asked Brian Parker uh, yeah. about the Super Nintendo controller, but I never told anybody that I was actually working on the Virtual Boy controller because I, I didn't want to... I wanted it to be a surprise when I finally came out with it. So mm -hmm. I asked him all these questions like leading up to it, but then like pulling away. So I don't, I don't know if he ever figured out what I was doing, but uh, then I wired up jumpers to jumpers to something. Oh, it was from a controller to an extension, I think. Mm -hmm. And then I built a little program that would do the reads like he had said to do, but I just increased it from 12 to 14. And then I figured out what buttons went where with my little test program, and then that was that. Uh, okay, so you basically, once you got it working sort of with the idea of the Super Nintendo controller and realizing that the Virtual Boy controller was similar, you you then took that and ran with it on your own. Well, I saw online that people had hooked up a Virtual Boy controller to the NES, and like down was B and like left on the right d-pad was like a mm -hmm. or the other way around and so i knew that it could read what was going through i just didn't know how to read it because there's no like super nintendo test program out there although i'm, I'm sure there probably is but uh, i didn't know of one mm -hmm. so that's why i asked brian like what was going on and then i just did my own sort of tests to figure out what was going on with the the virtual boy controller hmm. and and uh how so for how difficult was it for you or did Brian did a, do a good job of explaining that or, or were the, was it a long process of kind of teasing out the answers for you because of how technical it is or. No, it's not that technical. He has a very fun way of giving you a very clear and obvious answer that mm -hmm. takes you like a week to understand when he's like, <laughs> Oh, you just read the controller 12 times. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> so then I'm sitting there playing with the code and eventually I, you know, stumbled upon the right combination of things was like, Oh, he just meant you read it 12 times. He wasn't trying to be cryptic. Like that's it. Okay. Okay. And so, yeah, that was, that was pretty much it. Yeah. Now with the sprite aspect of that game, how, um, how easy or difficult was it for you? Because, I mean, for anybody who hasn't seen Spookatron, there are a bunch of reviews online. There are? Lucky... Well, yeah, sure. John Hancock did a review of an early copy yeah. of it. Um, and uh, who else did a review of that? There were, there were at least two big, pretty big YouTubers that uh, uh, did a review oh, of it. Oh, Daria? 
Yes, Daria did it. That's right. Yes, that's because I asked them to. But uh... <laughs> well, but they did it, right? Yes, they did it. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that that counts for something. I I don't I great. don't know that John Hancock would review my game if I asked him. And so, um, although he seems like a nice guy. Yeah, he's super nice. I, I enjoy him. Oh, you were at Portland this year, so you you got to see his uh, NES collection. Yes, I got to see him pushing. Another guy was pushing them out with a broom out of these glass cases, and he's catching them as they're falling out the other side. And he looked over at one point and missed one and just completely fell to the ground oh, from like no. four feet up. CIB, oh yeah. Oh man, and yeah, so that, oh, that, I saw some pictures of that. That looked incredible. I wish I had been able to see that in person. It um, was really neat to walk up to it and go, hey, there's two of my games. Whose collection is this? <laughs> Because I should know. Uh, yeah. Sure enough, it was his. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I imagine that a lot of our audience uh, on on uh, Twitch, at least, has, has seen it. But uh, for the people who are watching this later on YouTube, if you haven't, pause this, open another tab, and go do a search for Spookatron on John Hancock's channel. And uh, he does a pretty good job reviewing it. It's a, it's a hectic game. Um, I may or may not have cursed uh, emphatically many times while playing. <laughs> um, it's but, not that hard. I'm I'm horrible at action games, and I just cruise through it. It's easy. <laughs> yeah. Simple. <laughs> Maybe after the recording, I'll tell you some of the things I've said. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it, it's one of those games. Well, that's what I like about the game, right? It, it's one of those games where when you start playing it, you're like, holy crap, this is so ridiculous. Um, and <laughs> I mean, it's it's similar to um, what's like a cuphead, right? Like you start playing it. The 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 feeling of it is the same thing. And, and you die immediately and you're like, what the hell? And you you play it again, and you probably die again, <laughs> and and you're like, what the hell? And then maybe the third or fourth time, you realize what you're supposed to do. It doesn't help that the first few times, by the way, that I tried to play it, I tried playing it with the Super Nintendo controller that didn't work, so I only could shoot down and left. Oh um, yeah, that's that's the BMI, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but even still, um, when I had all of the directions, you know, I I it took me several tries to get past level one, and then level two, it was like rinse and repeat with every level. But that's the thing is that every time you get past a level, you're like, holy crap, this is awesome! All right, let's keep going, and then you die and you curse and you start over again. Um, and there's something really appealing about a game like that, I think, for a lot of people, uh, not just me. Um, wh what was the balance for you of, you know, on a technical level, including literally every sprite you could, um, maybe literally every sprite on the system? Not quite, but kept, close. Yeah. Um, and, and then also making the game playable and just challenging enough to frustrate people into wanting to play more? Uh, well, what we do, I built uh, a full debug mode. Mm -hmm. And so we could play the levels over and over again. Like you'd clear it and you'd instantly start again and play it again. And I had a little counter that kept track of, you know, 
how many times you tried and how many times you died. So you got instant feedback of like, you know, how difficult this was. Mm -hmm. But ordering the levels was very kind of challenging. Uh, there was 101 of them. And I think level 101 is the first level I designed. So everything was kind of scaling back from my initial conception. Huh. So so that's interesting because you um, it, it's like the incident in that the levels were designed kind of out of order. And then you went back and rearranged them based on the level of difficulty and sort of this progression of how you wanted people to suffer. Well, yeah, I, I didn't do all the levels, which was nice. A fellow mm. named James Robot did probably 50 to 60 of them. Mm. Uh, a gal named Tanya, she did 10 or so. Matt Bepp did 10 or so. Uh, a couple of the Kickstarter backers did a handful of levels. And so I wasn't just playing my own levels, which mm -hmm. is what I realized was the hardest thing. And that's why level 101 is... Probably the hardest. That was one that I designed, like, and I could cruise through it, and I knew exactly where to go. Whereas all these others, I had to sit there and die over and over and over again, and figure out, you know, if I can beat this in three tries without even, I mean, like on my first pass, then you know, it's it's probably like a three to four difficulty. Like, it's not too hard. Whereas if it takes me ten or fifteen or twenty tries, then you know, we're gonna have to ratchet it up. Or if I can really only clear it by clearing out half the enemies and then dying, then, mm -hmm. you know, that's up. But every level had to have be able to be beaten in one go, no matter what. Uh, okay. And most of the levels are not random. Uh, whereas I had initially designed the game to have all random levels. So what was, uh, what was the thing that made you decide to switch away from doing completely random levels it's those darn testers man they uh <laughs> they give you feedback they're like no we don't like this and so you know i i thought i was done with the game i think it was like september october a couple years ago and i was like okay it's pretty much ready we just need to design you know a bunch of levels and then they're like no i want to do this and this and i was like oh that's gonna take me time to like go back <laughs> and like implement all that and so i implemented all that and then tanya she was like well I really want walls. I think there need to be walls. And I was like, I am not designing walls. And I compromised and I eventually allowed blocks that kill you if you touch them. So they're basically just stationary enemies. But uh, mm -hmm. And it made the game a whole different experience. It was way better because of that. And I would not have done that had she not been so insistent. See, and that's an interesting thing that I, I really appreciate about the I, I feel like it's the community as a whole. It's not just your unique experience is that there is this willingness to make games and content and, and include the community in the process of, um, in the process of keeping this, you know, sort of some semi ancient system alive at this point. <laughs> Yeah, well, I had tested for I tested for Frank with Armed for Battle, and he took a lot of my suggestions and put them into the final game. And then I also got to test for Kevin with Larry, and that was more of like a nice group dynamic where there were like five of us giving suggestions and feedback and all that in in a, sort of a private forum thing. And that was sort of what I patterned my beta testing off of in terms of I want everybody to sort of talk and you know get out what they think should be in the game. And if I don't like it, I'm just going to say it like, Hey, I'm not putting that in. 
but eventually it was like, you know what? There's a probably a reason they keep saying these things. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and that's not that uncommon for regular software development too, right? <laughs> it's like the the programmer, it's that stereotypical programmer who doesn't want to Im implement a feature, right? And they're like, no, there's no reason you need this. And then finally by the fifth or sixth user who's like, you know, it'd be really nice if we had this thing. You're just like, son of a, and you and you go do it, right? Eventually, uh, yeah. yeah. Grudgingly, with lots of mumbling. Yeah, and then you thank them profusely afterwards. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, what was the first? I, I kind of asked this before. I asked what was the the hardest thing that you remember from the beginning. But what was the first thing that made you actually want to quit? I cannot remember. I have a lengthy, unpublished forum post called Why Have You Given Up at NES Programming? And it details why I was at the point of like, no more, I'm done. Like, I can't do this. And there was some issue. It was during the adventure project that, uh, and I, I wasn't, nobody would answer my questions. Like, mm -hmm. that. I think that was one of the most frustrating things is that, I couldn't get answers to my questions. There was no immediate thing. I would post online and nobody would respond and be like, well, now what? And so I sit there and fiddle with it. And eventually, you know, you do figure it out. But um, yeah, there were long periods there where it was very hopeless, we'll say. Okay. And so um, somebody conjectured it's HP printers made you want to quit. Um, oh, that was later. That's publishing. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about that a little bit too, because you're one of the homebrewers, um, that is, I, well, you can tell me the extent I, I know you're, you're assembling the carts yourself, you're flashing, assembling, um, and printing the boxes and the manuals too. At times. Yeah. A fellow named Aaron E has helped me out with printing because my printers are junk. Uh, he's the one who said HP printers is what you want to quit. He's here too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the goal was okay. when I did the Spookatron Kickstarter was to buy all the machinery that I needed to be able to print all my materials. And mm. five printers later, and again, thanks to Aaron E, I have one that can do everything but boxes. And so yeah. I can print off manuals and labels and then he's had to send me some boxes that I can actually assemble. But uh, yeah, the whole process. I mean, that's sort of the maker brewer dream is doing everything yourself and not rely, having to rely on anybody except Kevin for formatting and Aaron to save you when you're down and, uh, you know, well, for boards. And... Yeah. So, and now um, Memblers just mentioned something that's oh, uh, pretty important. Yeah, yeah, he said that you asked him to make an NROM board, and that's how we ended up with GT ROM. Which <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a huge deal, right? Uh, it's become one, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was back, oh boy, Mag or MGC of 2013 or 2014. I went and I went with some guys in town because we had a local video game night, and I show up and they're like, Memblers will be rooming with us. And I was like, the great Memblers? Oh, boy. <laughs> and so, like, I wake up 
the after the first night, and I look over and they're like, "That's Memblers," and I'm like, "The dude on the floor with the ponytail, that's Memblers," and they're like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Okay," so I waited till he woke up because he's a late sleeper, <laughs> and I pinned him down and we talked for I don't know how many hours. Uh, the second or yeah, it must have been the second night. Yeah, we were up to like four in the morning because uh, MGC used to not kick us out. Now they do. But uh, back then, so I was like, yeah, I need a board. And he was like, okay, we can do that. And I was like, it just needs to be Enrom because I had these other guy games from this guy, Swords and Runes, Zero to X, whatnot. And I just needed to get him out. And so then Joe goes home and Joe starts looking at things. And he's like, what if we add this? It'll be like 15 more cents. And I was like, sure, that's fine. That'll be perfect. He's like, what if we had this? And it'll be like 10 more cents. I was like, all right. And before I knew it, like we had this whole like amazing board that was dirt cheap because he had, you know, added 60 cents worth in parts and we could do flash saving. We could do UN ROM, BN ROM, A, whatever ROM. And uh, yeah, and that's sort of how GT ROM came about uh, was that pivotal conversation late at night. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I mean, there there is something. Uh, I mean, there is something really fun about being involved in those kinds of discussions where you don't realize it at the time, but what you're talking about ends up being w way bigger than what you thought it was when you started, right? I just thought it was so cool to be talking to this like legend of the homebrew community. He was just this normal guy that I could like sit there and chat with. And that was, that to me was the most amazing part. And then the fact that we could actually like start looking at doing some stuff together was, uh, was pretty awesome. Cause swords and runes, zero Dax, the incident, and there might've been one other game is sort of what got that whole first batch of GT ROM kind of sold out and hmm. onto the second. So that's very cool. So um, Brian says you asked the great members to make you something as basic as Enrom. Uh, <laughs> that's all I needed, Brian. All I needed. <laughs> um, uh, that's but so um, your experience then working with GT Rom seems to be um, similar to others. Then I guess in that it's very straightforward to work with, and it does exactly what you needed to do, and more, and uh, more, right. Yeah, because what I needed was NROM with flash save or some sort of saving. Mm -hmm. So, and in that process, it was like, well, you know, memory is cheaper to get 32K than 8K. So let's just expand the board and mm -hmm. kind of went from there. But yeah, I just wanted to, I, I hate passwords. So I just wanted to be able to save games. Uh, right. Well, that's the funny sort of dichotomy now. I think that's the right word for it of what's being done today, right? It's like this old system with this old technology. And then you have people like Brian and Memlers and and all these other uh, sort Don't of... Don't forget Paul. Uh, Paul, yes, you're right. Thank you. Got to remember Paul. Yeah, no, no, that, absolutely. I've got my... It's like we planned this. I've got my INL dumper board here. <laughs> um, you know who these these technical wizards who have come up with ways to use the these modern technologies that are. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! That's so cool. That's I, a travesty. I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. Um, but you know who have learned to use the or 
well, obviously you know what they're doing with the hardware, but have used this uh, modern technology combined with the old technology and made it so that something that would have been not only expensive back in the 80s, but possibly impossible uh, in the 80s, you know, like just a standard thing or dirt cheap or whatever. I mean, you know, it's it's pretty amazing to me that uh, that, you know, we can have a situation where, you know, you, you spoke with someone who then immediately kind of just went and whipped up this amazing board, um, you know, and it's, and it isn't prohibitively expensive for people like it would have been. And how do you think that's changed the homebrew community or, or homebrew games? Um, or has you know, it? I think flash saving has, has changed things across the board. Like most of us, it's, as cheap to have it on the board so we just do it mm -hmm. um gt rom is cheap enough that i think a lot of us have turned to self-publishing uh just because it's so inexpensive uh, mm -hmm. when you're getting you know boards for i think it's in like 925 now uh you get shells for four bucks you're you know it's pretty cheap uh, yeah so yeah and have you looked at other I mean, obviously the, the GT ROM does what you want, but have you looked at other any of the other mappers at all in in your journey of NES programming? And, and oh yeah, uh, I was because I wanted to do a Zelda like to begin with. I was mm -hmm. like, well, it's got to be MMC one because that's what Zelda uses. So mm -hmm. let's do let's do that. And I, I got everything set up, and I bought a board from INL that I could you know flash and never quite worked right because I can't figure out how to write to 512 still, <laughs> even still, I can't figure out how to write to a 512 MMC one board, but uh, yeah. So I set that up and then backed off and did UN ROM. Cause that's sort of what everybody else was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian kind of pioneered that. And with, you know, Rob was using it. Kevin was using it quite a few other people. And he had the templates already set up online. You could take them from his, uh, cyoa uh program you could sort of take how he'd done bank switching and all that and then mm -hmm. reorganize things so i've used mostly un rom i've started i still i've yeah i now use mmc1 in a in an intentional way as opposed to just wanting to use it i actually use it because i need to now for a uh, work ram and what else seems like there's something else it does that i need Primarily the the WRAM though, uh, I've been building some tools and some editors and stuff, and that just eats RAM like crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I did with Spookatron, and I was down to like the last byte. I couldn't quite make it all work, but uh, this time, like, I have space to to do what I need to do. And um, so the the is the. I assume the editor is no longer in Spookatron. It's just kind of commented out and unreachable without, you know, magical incantations at this point. It is in the Kickstarter. If you backed the Kickstarter, you got the oh, editor really? in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Although I have a better version of it mm -hmm. um, that I sent out to backers if they wanted to be a part of it. It uses the MMC1 and actually, like, dumps the data to the save RAM. Okay. Because when we first did Spookatron, I, 
I built in screens and they would have to take a photograph of their screen and send it to me. And I would sit there or myself or my wife would type up exactly what was there. And then I would put that into the code. Uh, but with the WRAM or a save RAM, I could just dump it through that. They could send mm -hmm. me the save file and then I could just copy and paste it, which was much easier. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about your, your tools a little bit here. So, uh, CC65, ASM6, or NESASM? Oh, any SASM, all the yeah. way. Okay. And and I know uh, source control has been a raging debate these days. Get oh, out of here, man. Derek. Oh, no, no. We So I think we're going to do at MAGFest, we're going to do a source control workshop. No. Oh, come on. It's not I that won't bad. be there. What? what do you mean you won't be there? I'll leave. I'll, I'll be somewhere else. Ah, uh, if we can get Kevin to be there, then why can't we get you? Oh, I'll be there. I just won't be there for that. Ah, uh, man. So, I mean, like, so what is your what is your workflow for when you're when you're working on on a game and you decide I'm gonna I'm gonna go change something that's potentially gonna break this game severely? Um, how do you how do you handle that? Small steps. So you don't you don't go in for the big sweeping code changes. I, I will if I need to, but I make sure that every, I'm conscious of everything that's going on. So if I'm going to change this one thing, we're going to change that one thing. And it'll break it, and it won't work. Today, I ended up, and I was like, why? Suddenly, I have a black screen, and nothing's loading. Why? And I changed nothing. I couldn't I could not figure it out. Uh, and I, I kind of almost wished for this thing you all call source control, but... Then I wouldn't have known my mistake. I wouldn't have learned from it because I wouldn't have realized that I just forgot to swap banks. Um, well, so, but I don't know that that's. I I will counter you with the argument ooh, that that's not uh -oh. that's not a hundred percent true because before you reverted it back to the way it was working, where it was working, you can look at the differences between what you had and what you have potentially. Um, what is it is it magical code that doesn't change but changes there's just so many files how would you even see that well it, it it's like 30 odd files that are right, open it, at it, it only time. it only shows you the files that actually have changes yeah i don't know what that would look like um well we'll we'll talk <laughs> i just i go very slowly and if it if something doesn't work then there's very few times that I like write code for more than I'll, I'll go on binges where I'll write for, you know, five, six hours and then finally hit compile and we'll see what happens. But that's for like a new thing. Mm -hmm. When I'm editing existing things, it's a much slower process. We're only changing a few lines, hitting compile, making sure that nothing's broken and making sure that we get the result that we want. It's, it's a very... It's a slow process. That's why I don't find source control to be necessary because when I do make a mistake, I have to really learn from it. Like it, it's okay. sitting there staring at me going, you got to swap banks, fool. Like <laughs> you got to. Okay. I mean, I, you know, that's fair enough. I, and, and, uh, but, but I, it's, it's amazing to me. And I guess it's because, because I'm so used to it now from, from work like that, you know, it, the first thing I did coming on to the project that I'm on now was I said, you know, what, what's your source control? And the answer was, well, I make a zip file of every release we 
we put out there. And then if I need to update a patch, I, I unzip it and I modify it. And then I zip up that version. And I was like, <laughs> dear Lord, what, why are we in the dark ages again? Um, oh, that's what I did for Derek with the uh, PC build of Spookatron. Like I just kept sending him new zip files that <laughs> I'd ripped everything out that I needed ripped out. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it certainly works. And, and, you know, to be fair with, with smaller numbers of people, it, it is, um, you know, when you're the, the lone programmer or there are only two programmers on the team, it definitely, the value is harder to see at times. But um, I started to see it uh, when I was in Pittsburgh a couple months ago and I was working on the CTWC project with uh, Tim from Retrotainment. Like he was doing some stuff and I was doing other stuff and mm -hmm. it was like, this is a mess, except I could walk up the stairs and be like, Tim, don't do that. And mm -hmm. give me this on my flash drive and I'll plug it into my computer that doesn't go online. Mm -hmm. Like we made it, we made it work. So, but without that, like proximity, I, I can mm -hmm. understand it'd be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you use any sort of um, special text editor or do you, do you use Notepad? What do you, how do you write your code? Oh, I use Notepad++. Okay. All right. That's oh, yeah. a, it, it has tabs. Yeah, <laughs> it's it is a good program. I I uh, I've had some people try to convince me off of using Sublime Text, and and I, I you know I think it's I think they're both very good text editors. So I I find no fault in your choice there, sir. It's it's got uh, but besides the tabs, it has that that green font. I like the green font. Yeah. Right, it has some nice syntax highlighting. Right. If that's what you want to call it, I just call it the green font. But... Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, it has the green font. Um, sorry. Uh, sorry, I'm looking at my notes here. So, Ask me about paint. I know you want to. Oh well, yeah. I mean, how do you, is that? That's how you make all your graphics. Oh yeah. So just I've... vanilla Microsoft Paint. Uh, for XP, yeah. Uh, for XP, that's right. Yes, I. Oh I yes. Mentioned that you you do use it primarily an XP machine. If XP Paint had layers and and more than or different levels of zoom, it'd be all set. But I make do with with what's there, and then uh, I've started to use a sprite some uh, for the layering and for the animations. And uh, recently, when converting graphics from Paint to uh, YYCHR because mm -hmm. it can do like outlines and fill stuff in and all that crap. Okay. So, so you, your workflow is you take it, you do it in paint and then you bring it into YYCHR. Uh, with a Sprite as the intermediary oh, if necessary, because okay. YYCHR doesn't recognize colors very well. So you have to give it like wild colors, like palettes, uh, the second entry in a palette has to be like a crazy green and then a crazy red and then a crazy dark red. And it's just a mess, but whatever. Okay. Um, so uh, Paul from infinite NES live says VI for life. And I like VI. I I've often considered going back to VI. I Wait, what's VI? VI is a Unix text editor and you don't use the mouse. It's all, keyboard commands so like if you want to go to the beginning of the line so so yeah it's it's 
at first it sounds crazy and complicated, but so basically when you're in, when you open a file in VI, you can't actually text type text because you're not in text editing mode. Um, oh boy. Mode based text editor. And so what you do is um, you, you can hit the I for insert and then you can start typing. And then when you press escape, you go back into command mode. And if you wanted to go to the beginning of that line, you press the carrot, the, you do shift six and it brings you to the beginning of that line. Or if you want to go to the end, it's shift dollar, uh, shift four for dollar. Um, and you can do all sorts of things with it. it is, it's actually, it's one of those things where if you have no idea how it works, it's totally perplexing. And you're like, how do I get out of this thing? Because even quitting the program, it's colon Q. Oh my, no. Yeah, at Q, no. sorry, and enter, right? Because you've got to execute that command to quit. And then, um, but once you once you know it, it, it can be, it's extremely powerful and fast, but um, yeah. That I, doesn't sound fun. I used to use it for Unix programming and, and uh, it, it, because that's all I had and you get used to it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, you had those uh, hotkeys imprinted on your soul. It sounds like yes, yes, they're still they're still there, um, trying to re uh, emerge from from the past. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then uh, where were there? So uh, Aaron is saying they're trying to get you on to paint.net. Um, and then <laughs> and then Brian's like can't find a ten year old version of Photoshop. Um, I have ten-year-old versions of Photoshop. I, I found them at thrift stores, but uh, I won't. I bought one out of the trunk of a car in a Denny's parking lot, which he'll be proud of. Yeah. But no, paint, paint for life. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, it's getting the job done. So, uh, you, it must have been a sad day when you heard that Microsoft discontinued it. I don't know what that means. I live in a world of XP. It lives forever. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> actually, I, you know what? I really like XP and I would not have been sad if they had just continued to improve XP and not put out things like Vista or eight. Don't get me started, man. I, Don't get me started. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So if, yeah, if they had just added hardware support to XP, I would have been happy and fixed all the security bugs too. Yeah. That would, that was the other big problem. <laughs> uh, you just don't go online. Says the person who's live streaming right now online. Well, I have to thanks to Aaron E. I and Kevin, I have this wonderful MacBook, but uh, I still do all the programming in XP. Uh, once it started to take forty-five minutes for it to start up, then I just decided to take it offline, and it starts up in about thirty seconds. Wow. Yeah. Wonder why it would take that long. That's weird. Uh, internet in twenty thirteen on XP. It was a mess. Yeah. Um, so what's your favorite thing about the NES programming community? The community? Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, the people. The people are just wonderful. Um, they are what make this worth doing. Uh, otherwise, we'd just be making games. I could do this without ever talking to anybody or caring what other people are doing. But it, it's the people that, that make it special. For me. What specifically about the people? You know, we, we've developed, you develop friendships, you develop lifelong, I, I'm guessing, hoping, lifelong friendships through this. Um, 
people that care about more about you more than just programming. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very personal thing, what we do. And we tend to help each other and we tend to offer whatever we can to, to help other people out. So that's what, uh, that's what keeps me doing this. Yeah. Uh, and, and it is a very, um, welcoming community. Um, as I experienced firsthand, um, people are just like super cool about people joining in and being interested in it to whatever extent, right. Whether it's, um, you know, just checking it out or, or, you know, getting interested in programming. So that, that, uh, that is a, that is a cool part of, of the community and you've been doing this longer than I have. And it's, it's, um, great to hear that that's, you know, like the, that's your favorite thing about this is, is the people because it's, uh, often, it's often that the, the human element of all of this stuff is overlooked. Oh, if I haven't slept the uh, night on your couch, uh, don't worry, I will at some point. <laughs> all right, it's I'll very let, personal. I'll let my wife know. Um, <laughs> I was coming to town. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, never, never Long Island. Never again. Oh, but... I'm, I'm, I live in a very nice part of Long Island. <sighs> that Hooker Hotel was across the street from a Lamborghini dealership, sir. Right. Yes, I, I understand that. And, and Why? Why do they do that? Well, because it's close to a really expensive part of Long Island, but not okay. in that part of Long Island where they actually have right. a lot of money. All right. Maybe maybe we'll give Long Island another try. We'll see. But Well, now we'll that see. you have the insider scoop, you know, you'll know where not to stay. Yeah, the Jericho Inn, which yeah. Yelp removed my reviews and said they were inappropriate. And you know what? That's right. <laughs> I, well, yeah. I, yeah. I think your review is probably appropriate, though. They said it was all hearsay. I know a hooker when I see a hooker, sir. I don't, I don't know how you know, but okay. Well, we're not going to ask those questions. Yeah, that's not related to any us homebrew. Um, <laughs> at least Unless you're playing think. Larry. Yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's. I promise it's not all bad. Um, expensive, but not all bad. Um what what's your least favorite thing about the community um i don't tend to care kevin's probably just like so excited right now when when i tend to heat up but uh i don't tend to care for people that are doing this for what i perceive to be the wrong reasons um if you're not doing this because it's what gets you up in the morning or keeps you up late at night if it's not what you're truly passionate about, if you're just in it to make money and stuff, get the hell out. Like, I, I have no patience for that. Um, and I've gotten snippier in my old age, we'll say. Um, I used to just, you know, buy anything and everything. And now it's like, I'm not supporting that trash. Uh, and there's very little of that, which is nice. But when I see it, it's just, you know what? Let's step aside. Let's move on. Um I want to see people living their dreams, not just making a buck and moving, you know, moving stock. Yeah. yeah. I know I'm a little different with that, but no, you're, well, you are, but I think you're not alone. And that's what, that's what gets back to the, the people um, of, of the community because um, 
I I was I was telling my wife about, you know, it's it's hard sometimes when we have conversations going on in Discord, and your your wife is like, or your or your spouse or partner or whoever is like, what are you doing? Oh, um, always. Yeah, and um, and especially like if I'm laughing at something, you know, whether that's you know some something ridiculous that somebody said or some random bug that someone posted a, a video of or, or whatever. Um, but I, I was trying to explain to her, I think she gets it, um, <laughs> um, how, how tight knit the community is and how there really is this sense of um, uh, really caring about what's going on. Even for people who are, you know, in it to make some money, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, no. but they're in it to make money because it's what they want to be doing and they really care about it and they, and they really enjoy doing it. Um, and it's such a refreshing thing compared to being in quote unquote, the real world. <laughs> and I, and I mean that not even in the sense of, you know, the real world of like people, you know, working at a job programming to make money, but um, but just people being in situations where they just don't care. Um, and yeah. you, or, or, or you're in a situation with other people where it's clear they, they don't care. They, they just, you know, they're there because they have to be. And you're just like, okay, let me just get past this and, and get what I need completed. And, um, it's a, it's a, it's a draining thing. I think it doesn't matter what your profession is to be someone who cares about something in a, in a profession where the other people involved don't. That's the great thing about NES programming and like truly homebrewing is that nobody just has to do this. Like we all do this because we want to do it. And that, that comes through in the character and the personal relationships. Um, you can quickly tell who's in it for reasons beyond that and mm -hmm. who's in it just because this is what they want to do with their time. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a unique community. I've never seen anything like it. So what, what's changed about the community um, the most or the most noticeably for you um, since you started doing this? Oh, the old timers, they always say, oh, it used to be smaller or it used to be more personal. And I, I don't think that's the case. I, I feel like it's kind of always been, you know, it's whatever you put into it is what you get out of it. And so if you want to make it personal and you want to be invested, you're going to find other people that are invested too. And in that regard, it hasn't changed over the years. Uh, it has changed in that there are kind of more people, but at the same time, there really aren't that many of us. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and anybody that does come into it, you, you don't sort of treat them as like, oh, watch out, there's these new people. It's like, hey, there's new people, come on in. Like, yeah. it's a very welcoming place and kind of the more the merrier because there's, if you think about it, there's only... 50 to 100 of us that do this and 6 billion people in the world like that's a pretty small number i can live with that yeah yeah i mean 
I think I think we could all get together in one room and it wouldn't have to be that big a room. No, no, it, it could be it could be Joe's house, pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And and so um yeah, it's it's it, it is really heartwarming. I I hate to get like sappy about it. Oh, oh, he's wiping a tear. Single yeah. tear, single tear rolls down my cheek. Yeah, but it is, it is. It's a that. I mean, I think that's what that's what convinced me to stay. Is you know, people being really nice and patient, um, and just kind of always having an interest in what's going on. Well, quit being a decent, upstanding, honest individual, and we'll kick you out. But until then, you're welcome to stay. Okay. Well, I'll take you up on that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, so, oh, wow. It's already 10, 20. I've gone. Oh my. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's, let's do some, some wrap up things. Oh, um, boy. The podcast. Tell people oh, about no. the podcast. There, Kevin and I do a podcast. Okay. That's it. That's all <laughs> there is to it. You, you do a podcast called the NES Assembly Line, and it can be listened to in all the podcast places. Um, I don't listen to podcasts, so I don't know. But I hear <laughs> it can be, yes. Yes, uh, iTunes and Stitcher and all of those. Google Play, I believe, too. And um, So uh, I'll link to it in the, in the description of the video when I post that, too. Um, but what for what's what's the podcast for you? What's the purpose? What is your manifesto for this podcast? <laughs> um, the podcast was not my idea. That was Kevin's idea. And I think him and Brian and a few others talked about it and were like, what if we got Bo in front of a microphone and just let him talk? And <laughs> that became the podcast. <laughs> but I when we actually like sat down to talk about what we would do, I patterned it after I'd kind of uh, written out a zine that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Zine. I'm going to call them zines because that's how it should be said. Just like GIFs. 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 Just like GIFs. Um, and like the first episode was pulled from my zine notes, whether Kevin knew it or not. And that's just sort of how they've gone. You know, it starts with some, you know, like a theoretical topic. It goes to a game review, goes to current happenings with us and current happenings with communities, got some music and all that. But, you know, we really wanted to raise awareness about what it is that we do and like to separate. There's a lot of homebrew efforts and we want to draw attention to the ones that are really worth highlighting because now it's a little different. But a few years ago, it was really hard to tell, like beyond Battle Kid, what was good and what was bad, and like what mm -hmm. was worth paying attention to and what was not. And so the podcast sort of became our way to talk about things, but also like to actually play the games that we'd had sitting on our shelves for, in my case, years. Uh, mm -hmm. I kind of kept saying, I'll get to them someday when I finally write this, this book that I want to write. And until then, I'll just keep collecting because that's much easier than actually playing. Yeah, so the podcast forces us to actually sit down, play, review, think about things, and kind of get to know some new people in the process. Right, and and I and it's uh, it's I, I like that, and I don't know if this was by design that that you were suggested because of your personality, um, sort of um, being. Uh, 
think perpendicular is too strong a direction, but not necessarily directly parallel with Kevin's and, and his opinions. <laughs> if it, like, you know, I feel like, you know, when they when they create reality shows, right, they they purposely choose volatile people to to put them together <laughs> so that it's an interesting show was was do you think that that was a um uh that that was kind of what brought you into doing this with kevin or do you think that it was just you were you, is it you put a microphone in front of you and you'll just keep talking what, what uh, do you think you know kevin and i are good friends so we just we talk and we disagree and we are still friends and we can you know disagree on things and move forward. And so I, I think that's one of the strengths of the podcast is that we both get our opinions out and we both sit there glaring at each other and saying, you're wrong. <laughs> and we continue on. Um, and then I also edit out any time that he makes a good point. So that way I'm the one that always looks good. <laughs> right. Right. You always make Kevin seem like he is always constantly talking about himself. <laughs> there there are a few things i've left in that's not it but uh there are some things i maybe i do leave those in hmm. off the lark. no I'm, I'm i you know i i actually uh joking aside i mean i think you guys do a good job of representing um enough about what is important about a topic uh, even with differing opinions that people are left with information enough that they can go look at it themselves without having one particular opinion thrust upon them um, uh, unanimously where they're left thinking that that's the only the only idea or option. Well, that's always um, my goal is to, you know, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to do all that stuff. But uh I, I want people to be able to think about things. I don't care what they think as long as they're actually thinking about them and, you know, thinking intelligently and intentionally about them. So hmm. hopefully that's what's being done. I don't yeah. know. Kevin, Kevin doesn't like that. I mentioned the fact that he's always talking about himself. Oh, <laughs> he's fine. You should see the gag reel that of stuff he says that I pull out. Oh, my uh, gosh. Oh my, it is, it's gold. Brian is saying that, you know, Kevin had his chance last with, with the previous interview. So, you know, now he has to be quiet. That's why I always go second. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, favorite retail release on the NES. I think I know the answer to this. Oh man. See, I always want to say Zelda because it's so, so good, but but I really do like Legacy of the Wizard a lot. Mm. If I make a game in one of those two genres, it's going to end up being Legacy of the Wizard, not Zelda. And that is, and that is, um, and that is a polarizing choice. I would say there are many. I, oh yeah, I mean that. I remember playing that game as a kid. I've still never and, beaten it. Well, yeah, because it's it's <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but I remember so playing. Though. I'm still, man. I don't know. I I remember playing it as a kid and being awful, and then coming back to it as an adult. And as an adult, so many games that you had a hard time with as a kid, you come back to, and you you're like, I don't know. I had a hard time with this, and that was not that game. Nope. Um, that that is just legitimately. A, I did way better, but I yeah no. It was uh, 
I made it past level two. Which, oh, there are no levels, so you really didn't play it much. I did made you? it. I mean, I'm there isn't no. There's got there's like sections of the game. Mark. There's sections, yeah. There's yeah. Sections so I made it past the. Let me think about that. Now. There's no order though. What's well, order? Well, no, don't they like tally up your treasure at some point or? What were you playing? I must be thinking of a different game. Wario? Oh, I'm thinking of. I'm maybe I'm thinking of. Wizards, Wizards and Warriors? Oh, I've never touched that trash. Okay. Wow. So I'm totally it's talking fighting about words, but... no. Oh, okay. Well, maybe, no, maybe... there's, I guess, sections. Yes, levels. Hold on a second. But... Now, now we're going to, now we're going to do this because I'm, I feel embarrassed that I, I had no idea oh, what you were talking about. That wasn't my goal. No, that's no, okay. Um, oh, man. I'm, I, I had my phone on, on airplane mode and now I'm getting all the notifications that I, was ignoring. Um, let's see, Legacy of the Wizard. Am I talking about the same game? It has some of the best music on the NES. I do like the music if it's the same game. <laughs> <laughs> it's Kirby you're thinking of, isn't it? No, I know the difference between that and Kirby. Um, <laughs> live stream. Man Googles things on his phone. Uh Okay, no, I'm not. I'm not talking about the same game. I'm talking about uh, Wizards and Warriors, uh, clearly. Oh, no, you got to go with Legacy of the Wizard. I, you know, I've never played that game. <laughs> my uh, my cousin gave it to me in fourth or fifth grade. I'm pretty sure because his his mom made him give away some of his games in order to get something new and fun. Okay. And so I, I got it CIB, and I have a picture of me getting it on Christmas uh, Eve. Nice. And I still have not beaten it, but I I enjoy the exploration element. Um, mm -hmm. So, anyways, yes, to answer your question, licensed wise, it's up there. And and least favorite licensed game, <sighs> Battle Kid? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I said licensed, licensed, oh, not license. homebrew. <laughs> I tease, I tease. Um. <laughs> You know, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a huge NES person. Like, we played it for a number of years, and then we moved on to the Super Nintendo, mm -hmm. and that had better RPGs that could actually save without pressing reset. And so I there's probably, like, a lot on the NES that I don't really care for, but these days I try to learn something from almost anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, each game, the programmer has sat there, or the artist, or the musician has done something that's worth emulating in some fashion, uh, except Jaws. Um, <laughs> have so, you have you heard some of the music in these games? Some of them, yeah. But then, you, if if the music sucks, you got to look toward the graphics. Or mm -hmm. if the graphics suck, then you got to look towards you know what they're doing behind the scenes, like Bigfoot. Nobody wants to play Bigfoot. That's just mm -hmm. you know ugly game except it's like the most technically impressive game on the system so he's using 128 sprites and you know reloading stuff in that little black box in between the uh two split screen playing fields like it's just nuts it's still a terrible game but uh you know maybe there's something there worth learning from or not uh, huh or not or not no i i don't i'm I'm definitely not thinking of the wrong game there, but I've never played that one. <laughs> what is your least favorite game, if I may ask? Um, I, I have to go with the my least favorite game that I own, 
um, which is um, a boy in his blob. Oh, get out. You can leave now, sir. Well, it's my house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so good, man. David Crane's masterpiece. I, you I'm, throw jelly beans at a blob. I know. Conceptually, it sounds amazing. But then it was so disappointing when I actually tried to play it. Oh, man. I can hear the music in my head right now. It was good music. I like that song. Graphics um, are horrid, but uh, yeah, music, the gameplay could have been redone, tightened up a bit. It would have been amazing. Well, they did do a remake at some point. Um, oh, for the Wii? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They and canceled I, the DS one and the GBA one, but yeah, they did the Wii one. Yeah, and I didn't buy it. Actually, you know, you know what? I, I also don't like Paperboy, and I know that's polarizing too. No, I that's got, okay. I got that as a I got that as a birthday gift one year from someone uh, because at that point everybody hated that game so much that it was probably like ten dollars. Yeah, you got um, it from a relative who didn't love you. Yeah. Um who but who wanted to get me a video game to feel like they did a good thing. Um, <laughs> um but you didn't uh no it was I man I tried playing that game and remember how I was saying how you know you play Spookatron and it's frustrating but in a way where you want to keep playing. I've heard some things, yes. Yeah, Paperboy is not. I don't tend to like arcade games, so pretty much all of those are my list of least favorites. But there are some that are really fun and and worth investing the quarters in. And man, Paperboy. <sighs> Every quarter at the arcade was one last quarter for an RPG for the Super Nintendo. So that's how I made my decisions. Yeah, I mean, I guess at that point, I wasn't really playing much at the arcade. Not that there were that many arcades around. But anyway, now we're now we're just we're trailing off. Anybody in the uh, live stream have any questions? We've got 13 people on right now. Oh, that's too many. No, it's good. You got to kick them off. Well, we will when we're done. I just want to see if we um, if we. Uh... Aaron said, if it's sneak and peek, then you can't look at the art or the music. <laughs> but there must be some good programming going on, except I know what's going on there. <laughs> and uh, and Kevin said, silent service is better than taboo. Ooh, you know, I own like, I don't know how many copies of silent service and have never played it. Really? Yeah, because I just rip them apart. Take the shells. Hmm. Um, Kevin wants to know why is uh, why is Keystone Light your favorite beer? Get out of here! <laughs> you want cores because you want from the top of the barrel, not the bottom. <laughs> um, so Aaron is saying, let's see, you've talked about your love for Super NES, uh, Super NES, SNES, whatever you say, um, whatever you like. RPGs, um, several times. Why have you not programmed one yet? For the NES or for the Super NES? For the Super NES. Oh, I've heard that's way too hard. Mm. Yeah. He also added Q. Brian saying SNES sucks. Ah, well, yeah. Uh, but I feel like you can make a Super Nintendo level game on the NES in terms mm -hmm. of gameplay. So mm -hmm. that's that's what I'm after. I'm after the game that has the story and gameplay you can enjoy. The graphics are kind of like just breed quality where it's like almost snes but not quite mm -hmm. and music i i don't do music so i don't know um 
but we'll figure something out when we get there. Uh, Brian reminded me of, uh, I meant to ask you, um, is it too early to talk about the book? No, oh, no, it's never too early. To, too early or too late? No, too too early. Um, he, well, his question is, when will the book be done? But I, that's I, that's a good question. Yeah, but I I, th I was I was starting at a simpler question, which is, you know, tell us about the book. There is a book. Uh, thanks to Brian from Retro USB, he has funded my dream of writing about this community, which is the reason I got involved in the first place, or one of the reasons. Um, and yeah, uh, just kind of going through developer by developer, you know, figuring out their stories, uh, getting to know them better, going through their past projects, dev builds, unfinished projects, notes, anything and everything I can find. Um, and then turning that into some sort of narrative that is worth reading, which is easier said than done sometimes. So is it going to be a like a history of NES homebrew, or is it yeah. going to be, yeah? Well, yeah, it starts back in the late 90s uh, with the emulation scene mm -hmm. and, you know, D or disassembling the NES and figuring out, you know, what's going on. I was at Joe's house the one time, and I look up, you know, in his basement shelf, and there's like 50 NESs, and I'm like, what's, what's up with those? And he's like, oh, well, uh, they asked me to desolder all the chips so they could, you know, slice them apart and, you know, take photographs and disassemble the 6502 in it. And I was like, oh, that's random, like, wow. that these are just sitting there. And it's just all these things, all these people have taken, you know, their time. They, they don't get paid for this stuff. This is just what they care about. And that gives the story some energy. And so you have these early early emulation stuff with, uh, you know, people trying to make money off of emulation and then the other side that's, you know, all about it being free. And then that kind of develops. That was like a mailing list back in 98. And that develops into Nestev and the forums uh, later Nintendo age. And then, you know, actual releases on cart uh, mm -hmm. starting in, you know, 2005 and all that. And it, it's just a fascinating story because the people behind it are in it for a reason they're 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 interesting um and it's tough because you know i call a lot of them friends at this point but uh which you know i need that critical distance and all that but uh man like how could you not want to be friends with these people they're just great great individuals yeah yeah, yeah no it's that's awesome and, and it must be must be tough going back that far um and i, I I mean, I imagine some people documented it, but um, no. Very few. Oh, my goodness. You want to talk about some bad memories? You talk to some programmers. Um, <laughs> like, I have to sit there and give them screenshots or builds of their games, and they're like, oh, yeah, that is why I did that. You're right. And I was like, okay. Yeah, it's, it's a mess. But, uh, you know, each case is unique. You know, Derek has thousands of pages of journals that are all you know online or whatnot um a lot of people have their unfinished projects folder that they've never published or even talked about is way bigger than what they've actually you know leaked out and released um mm -hmm. there's just so much in there that is just fascinating uh every day is like i'm a kid in a candy store just exploring this stuff 
So are you gonna are you gonna kickstart the book? Uh we'll figure that out, I guess, when the time comes. Uh that's sort of sort of up to Brian and the retro USB stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, I just I I wanna write I wanna write a book that doesn't have to be rewritten in six months, a year, or even a decade. I want it to be this this is the source material. This is what future people will come back to and go, this sort of details this uh, pivotal time. Like what we do is very different. It, it, it fights planned obsolescence. It, it fights, you know, we shouldn't be doing this, uh, but we are. And in 50 or 100 years, I think people, people will be fascinated by that. Um, hopefully they'll still be doing it. But uh, if nothing else, it, it'll be interesting to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, who knows, maybe that will be the basis for, you know, a section of a museum that, you know, in a, in 80 years, most of us will be probably gone. Um, uh, yeah, most of us, <laughs> most of us. Yeah. You never know. There might be that one outlier, right? But yeah, there's will, always one. it will, it will, uh, and their memory is going to be bad because they're a programmer. Um, you'll have that as a record of what happened for, for you know the community and uh why john hancock collected the entire (laughs) the entire retail set complete in box and and you know kind of those things will combine into this collective extended history of the system well it's weird because most of this is publicly available online and Mm -hmm. and unless the forums go away like the uh 2a03 music forums did Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like anybody could access this, but it's it's putting it together in a meaningful way. That's that's the challenge. Um, yeah. No, that that's true. It's a it's a daunting to me task, but it sounds like you're really excited about it. So. Oh yeah, it's again, it's what gets me up in the morning. That's you know the first half of my day on through all this stuff, uh, documenting things and going through people's notes when somebody hands you like hundreds of pages of stuff and they're like here you go <laughs> it's a task um, yeah. but it's one worth doing because i don't think anybody else is going to do it at least to this level right well i'm i'm excited about it and looking forward to uh, seeing where it goes and i'm sure everybody else is too um since there's so so much that is uh you know, we only know bits and pieces of, so, um, uh, we'll take one more question. I'm not sure if it's going to be this one. (laughs) What is Bo's strongest and least popular opinion that he will defend to the end? Rush sucks. It's like the worst, the worst band ever. Do we end it there? (laughs) Rush sucks. We we could. I mean, Rush is terrible. Nobody should listen to that garbage. Uh, okay. Well, um... <laughs> that's gonna be it. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Nobody has any more questions. Who so. asks that? Uh, that was Aaron again. Oh, um, he's always poking the bear. Well, it's okay. It makes for an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, interview. So. Um, Thank you so much for taking uh, the extended time. I'm sorry that we ran much later than anticipated, but um, thank you. Yeah, I, this I, is what I do, talking about this stuff. Uh, I It's fascinating in all ways and as it continues to develop. Uh, yeah, but I, I uh, you know, I know normally you're doing it with, with the constraints of 
uh, carefully crafting that message and and not putting your face <laughs> on the screen, right? Oh, I I've been hesitant to go on camera for years, but uh, whatever. I guess I've been doing this five years, so it's time. No, oh, I appreciate that, and I know um, others do too. And and I'm trying to tease out some of the uh, some of the others who are even more reluctant than you were to be in front of a camera. Good luck. Um, yeah, I know. Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'm persistent, if nothing else. Uh, <laughs> You're kind and honest, if nothing else. So that's that helps you. No, oh, thanks. I, I appreciate that. Um, Brian says Kevin wants another interview now to set the record straight. <laughs> nope. He only gets one. Yeah, one no, everybody, everybody only. only gets one uh, until we do the full round. If we do the full round and we've run out of people, maybe we'll go back to Kevin. Oh, uh, we'll always have new people. Don't worry. I know. Uh, Excellent. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. And I look forward to the book and to the um, the next episode of the NES assembly line. And um, as I always say, ending these things, um, because I have nothing more clever or catchy. If you need to reach me, I'm on Twitter at Clarvis. Where can people reach you? Um, I am at Solgoose on Twitter or Solgoose Productions at Gmail or on Nintendo Age. Yeah. Or yeah. Nesta. Yeah. Yep. And he's Solgoose and all those other places um, and on the Discord. And uh, I'm on there. And many other awesome people are on there uh, talking about this kind of stuff all the time, maybe more than we probably should at times. But um, <laughs> well, maybe not during the middle of the workday. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that never happens. Um, but uh, thank you all for watching and for uh, being on the live stream. And we will catch you on Monday, where I dive back into figuring out what the hell I'm doing with NES programming. And uh, take care and have a good night.